you brought a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to go with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 25, beginning at verse 1 this morning. As you find that, I want to remind you that this uh, week we are receiving the Operation Christmas Child boxes. Today is the final uh, day. Actually, tomorrow you'll have until noon. Uh, but if you have not brought your box yet, uh, your shoebox full of gifts uh, and love for a child around the world, we want to invite you to do that today between 2 and 5 o'clock and also tomorrow between 10 a.m. and noon. In a few minutes, we're going to pray over these boxes. Uh, already, Kingsway Church has brought 269 shoeboxes, and uh, let's see if we can make that 300, all right? So keep those boxes coming throughout the day today and tomorrow, and we celebrate what God is going to do in the lives of children through the gospel all around the world. We've been talking about the homemaker this uh, past couple of Sundays, and this morning I want to speak to you about giving thanks. Gratitude in the home is a tremendous blessing and a, a fruitful tree of life. And today I want to share with you some reasons why you and I can give thanks to the Lord. Beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 25, the word reads, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you, I will give you thanks, for you have worked wonders Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. You have made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin. A place of strangers is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. For you have been a defense for the helpless, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like the rainstorm against the wall. Like heat and drought, you subdue the uproar of aliens. Like heat by the shadow of a cloud, the song of the ruthless is silenced. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on the mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. For the presence of the Holy Spirit among you, among us, we thank you for the word of God, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you, O God, that you desire to speak to us. Today we say, speak to us, O God, for your servants are listening. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The Bible is a book of tremendous diversity. The book of Isaiah is an interesting and important book. Some have called it the fifth gospel. It is a book that points us, like no other Old Testament book, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read the words of Isaiah this morning, uh, we uh, are helped by understanding a little bit of the context of the book. God raised him up to speak judgment over the nations of the world. So the first uh, few chapters, the first 24 or 25 chapters of the book are chapters which lay out with great detail uh, a series of judgments and condemnations spoken by God against the, sim the sinful world and the societies that had built up in idolatry against God. 
he begins by telling us about the burden of the Lord. And Isaiah goes on to tell us a burden after burden after burden. He speaks of the burden of Babylon, the burden of Moab, the burden of Damascus, the burden of Ethiopia, the burden of Egypt, the burden of Edom, the burden of Arabia, the, ver the burden of the Valley of Vision, and the burden of Tyre. And then in the midst of all of this description of the judgment and the chaos that exists in a world without God, he makes this declarative statement, and he says, O oh Lord, you are my God. And this is an important reminder for us this morning that no matter what may surround us, as surrounded Isaiah in his day, you and I have a God to whom we can go. You see, sometimes life, will throw hardships at you. Sometimes you'll find yourself surrounded like Isaiah by the failure of a culture and a society around you. Today, America is no different than the days of Isaiah. If you watch the news for even a moment, you will see that America is surrounded by trouble, surrounded by crisis in not only America but the world. We see the outbreak of violence in our streets. It seems to get closer to home with every passing day. We see chaos in our government and in the governments of the world. Chaos in Washington, chaos in London, chaos even in Jerusalem. And as you look at all of the trouble that surrounds the world, you might even see some own trouble or some trouble in your own life, in your own home. Maybe this season of your life, you've had to endure some losses. Some of you have seen your dreams disappear before your eyes. And I want to tell you this morning that you have a God to whom you can go. And like Isaiah, you can say with confidence, the Lord is my God. Isaiah reminds us that in every season of life and in every, every chapter of our life, there is a praise that can be given. There is a statement that can be made which has no refutation, which no one can deny, and which no one can cancel out. It is this statement that can assure you security and make you stable in the hardest and most difficult days of your life. The Lord is my God. That statement reminds us that there is someone who rules sovereignly over all the nations of the earth. That there is someone who rules with power, authority, and might. And that he is our God. He is our King. He is our Lord. And he is our Father. Say amen. Somebody, if you know him. There is a burden this morning. A burden for a nation that is in desperate need of God. A burden for homes that are in desperate need of God. You look around and you see the society in which we live. It's a society that has adopted the idea of atheism. That there is no God to whom we are accountable. And they deny God and his existence in our, in our universities and in our classrooms. We live in a, in a society that has adopted the idea of humanism. That has set up man as the pinnacle of all things. And speaks to man as though he is the most important being. And that there is no God to whom he must render glory or reverence. We see in our society this great ingratitude. A loss of reverence toward God. And in the midst of all of this, you and I too must say, I don't know what others will do. I don't know what others will claim. But I will claim this and I will declare this. The Lord, he is my God. The Lord, he is my king. The Lord rules and reigns in my life. 
Isaiah said, the Lord, he is my God. I will praise him and I will give him thanks. Do you realize, friend, that you and I owe everything to God? You and I owe everything we have in our life to the goodness of a good God. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect thing comes from above. From the Father of lights, in whom there is no variance or shadow of turning. The blessings that you and I enjoy in our life have been given to us by God. And it's unfortunate because all of these blessings come to us in a, in a nation that is extremely blessed by the Lord. We see around us a nation that for all of its trials has seen God bless it with good jobs and, and with good houses and with good cars. And many times we get so comfortable with all of those things in our life that we forget to just stop and say, God, you're the one who gave this to me. You're the one that did this in my life. You're the one that provided these blessings. Come on, somebody. We've got to remember that this came from the hand of the Lord. Isaiah said, the Lord, he is God. He's my God. I will praise him and I will give him thanks. And then he lays out a series of reasons why he's going to thank God. And I want you to think of these reasons as to why you and I need to thank God this morning and why you and I need to spend this Thanksgiving week being reflective and thoughtful about the goodness of God and the many reasons that we have to be thankful to him. The first reason Isaiah gives us for being thankful to God is he says, I will give him thanks because he has worked wonders. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying, I will give him thanks because he is a miracle-working God. I don't know if you realize this this morning. You may not believe this this morning, but I believe it this morning. Our God is a miracle-working God. Our God is a God of wonders. Say amen, somebody. Our God is a God who can take impossible situations and make them easy and make them whole. Our God is a God who can take broken things and restore them. Our God is a God who works the miracle of conversion in our hearts. He is able to take a dead man and make him live. He is able to take a sinner and make him a saint. He is able to take a heart of stone and make it again into a heart of flesh. Come on somebody. If you've experienced the miracle of conversion, you know what I'm talking about. That God is able to change a man, to change a society, to change a family. That is a miracle that you and I should never take for granted. Our God has shown us the miracle of forgiveness, that he has taken our sin and he's buried it in the deepest part of the sea, never to be remembered against us again. And if you will confess your sin to him and ask him to forgive you, he'll forgive it and forget it forevermore. Say amen, somebody. That's a miracle, you know. That's a miracle this morning that God will not recall our sins against us. But you know what's a greater miracle? When somebody offends you and you're able to forgive them, when you're able to move on and let it go and you realize this power it didn't come from me, I don't have the ability to forgive, but I have been given a grace from God. I have been given power from God. Say amen, somebody. That is the miracle of God working in our life. Our God works the miracle of healing. He is the one that can heal the sick and raise the captive into wholeness of health. He is the one that has done so in the past, is doing so now, 
and will do so forever. He said to Israel, I am the Lord that healeth thee. He said to them, I send my word and I healed all of your diseases. He said by his stripes you are healed. This is our God. He is a healer today. Somebody ought to claim that this morning. Our God is a healer today. And if you're in this house and you know what I'm talking about, you've experienced healing in your body and healing in your soul, you ought to shout amen till the roof comes off this building because you serve a miracle working God. I'm preaching to people this morning that cancer would have put in the grave, but God showed up and worked a miracle in your life. I'm talking to people this morning that disease would have racked your body, and you'd be in so much pain this morning you couldn't be in the house of God. But here you are, worshiping and praising Him because He is a healer. Say amen, somebody. Our God is a miracle worker. He not only works the miracle of healing, but He works the miracle of provision. How many of you know that God provides? How many of you know that God meets your needs? We've all experienced those ways in which God has met our needs, in which God has provided for us, who's who's met us in the place of lack and brought not only sufficiency, but abundance. This is our God, the God who opens a door where there is no door. The God that pays the bills when you don't have the money to pay the bills. The God who supplies so that you can continue to enjoy his blessing and his goodness. We see the miracle of God's provision in our lives. We take it for granted so many times. We think, I worked for that. I did that. I accomplished that. You know what I can tell you about that? If you don't work for one week because you get sick, that is going to be gone. So, in fact, you and I didn't work for that. You and I have the power of God to do the work. We have the health of God to do the work so that we can have those things in our life that we want and desire. But the strength came from God. The grace came from God. Come on, somebody. The provision came from God. And when you didn't have a job, when you didn't have a way, when you didn't have the means, God showed up with something in your life to show you, I am your God. I will provide for you. I will meet your needs. And I will give you your daily bread. Our God is a provider. He's a need meter. He's the grander of the desires of our heart. He is a miracle working God. The second reason Isaiah gives thanks to God is he says, God has a long range plan. I want you to say this with me this morning. God has a plan. Do you know this morning that you can thank God and you can live a life of gratitude to God because God is working a plan in your favor. God has a plan for your life. The Bible says, the Lord speaking to Israel, that was in a place of judgment and condemnation. He said to them, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope. And that is God's word for you this morning. He says to you, look, I have a plan for your life. And the the prophet Isaiah says that this is an old plan. This is an ancient plan. Listen, I'm glad there aren't any old people in here this morning. Everybody I see is young and and healthy and powerful and going to live a long time. Say amen, somebody. All I see in here are are well uh, and, and blessed people. But you know what? If you do get around to being old someday, you don't have to 
don't have to worry about it because God has been around a whole lot longer than that. And his plan for your life has been going a whole lot longer than that. Listen, friend, God didn't write a plan for you when you were born. God wrote a plan for you before the earth was born, before the nations were established, before the mountains were set on their moorings. God had already made a plan for your life. Say amen, somebody. And God's plan is going to come to pass in your life because of his faithfulness. He says that this plan is an old plan. He says plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. God's faithfulness will bring about his plan for your life. So what do you have to do? you got to work the plan. Tell your neighbor, work the plan. Listen, if you know what God wants to do in your life, you can't sit on the front porch and wait for it to happen. you got to get out there and work the plan. you got to get out there and, and work until uh, you see that thing coming in to your life. And then you got to pray the plan. Tell your neighbor, pray the plan. That means you've got to begin to pray that God will manifest those things which he has spoken into your life until you see them in your life. Is there anybody in here that's working the plan? Well, let me tell you what, don't give up, don't quit, don't lose heart, keep working the plan. You may have taken a couple steps back this week, but keep working the plan. God knows what he's doing in your life. God knows what he's going to do in your life, and you can be sure of this, that he's going to work it out, and he's going to fulfill his perfect plan and will in your life. How many of you are praying the plan? Listen, if you're not praying the plan, you need to start praying the plan, because things aren't just going to happen in your life. You have to pray them in. You have to pray until it happens. Pray until it's manifested. Pray until it is fully revealed in your life. And when you have, when you have this conscious awareness of the fact, God has a plan over my life. I'm walking by his plan, by his direction. Then you live a life that says, God, what do you want me to do next? Where do I go from here? What do you want me to do with this week, with this day, with this month or this year? You live a life that's conscious of the fact that if God has a plan, I need to be on the plan with God. I need to know what God wants to do in my life. When you look at your life from where you are right now to where you started, let me, let me see if you don't think that God has a plan in your life. When you look at where you were, where he found you, and where you are today, tell me if God didn't know what he was doing, if God didn't work things out, if he didn't shut doors that needed to be shut and open doors that needed to be opened so that you can look and see this was God that did this. This is a God who is working all things together for my good and for his glory, and his plan is going to come to pass in my life. Paul said to the Thessalonian church, faithful is he who called you, and he will bring it to pass. The third reason that, that Isaiah says we can give thanks, is he says this very interesting statement. He said, a city of ruthless people will reverence God. He said, what in the world does that mean? I, I don't understand that. And this is what I want you to understand, that these words that Isaiah uses to describe the, the, the work of God, he's using to describe the heart of man. He says that, that there was a, a ruthless people, a, a people who had a hardened heart toward God. Just like the, the society I've described to you, a society that denies God, that rejects God, a society that does not reverence God. And their heart is hardened toward God. And friend, I'm not talking about your, your, your neighbor or some guy in another state. I'm talking about you and I. Because all of us, without God, have a heart hardened toward God. A heart that doesn't perceive or understand the work or the will of God. Uh, spiritual things don't make any sense to that man or that woman that doesn't know God. They, they hear preaching, but it doesn't make any sense. 
They hear singing, but it doesn't make any sense because their heart is a heart of stone. That ruthless people, that people that said, God, never. I don't believe in God. That people that said church, never. And that people that said, I'll never, I'll never darken the door of a church. I will never uh, give anybody 10% of my income, especially no preacher. I will never find myself singing uh, at some church. And those people that said, that'll never be me. I'm too strong for that. I don't have time for that. Well, one day, the hand of God came upon their life. And one day, that ruthless heart became broken and became aware of the fact, I need God. I need a savior. I need a redeemer. And that man with a hard heart, a stone cold heart against God began to realize that there was a need in him for change and transformation. Oh, friend, can I tell you today, do you have a a son or a daughter that has hardened their heart against God? Don't worry about it. You just keep praying, keep believing, and the hammer of the word of God will keep falling upon that heart. And sooner or later, as we pray and believe, God will break through. Come on, somebody. Say, God will break through. There is hope today in the God who pursues the hardened heart. Listen, God does not just knock once. Everybody in here should shout amen right now because everybody in here, he called more than once. And, and you didn't come. You hardened your heart, but he kept knocking. He kept pursuing. He kept calling. He kept insisting. And sooner rather than later, you opened up your heart to Jesus. Come on, somebody. If you're saved and you know it, shout amen. I can give thanks to God today because he breaks through the hardened heart. You know, in my life, I grew up in a preacher's house, preacher's home, and uh, it was a good life, a good home. But, you know, my father was a very religious man, a very uh, strict religious man. And, uh, and I, I always tell my brothers, I thank God we weren't, we weren't girls because the girls always seem to have it worse in a, a real strict Pentecostal house. Uh, but uh, in our house, it was, it was very strict, and we saw how, how things were for my mom. But then one day, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, my dad started changing, and I don't really know uh, what exactly was the catalyst for that change, but something changed his heart. He became softer. He became more gentle. He became more affectionate. He became more gracious with his words. His message began to change. The way that he began to address religious issues began to change. We began to see that he started to have a heart softened up by the grace of God, by the word of God, by the truth that God was not angry with man, that God was in love with humanity, and that God cares about people. And friends, I saw that happen in the house I grew up with, and I know what God can do in the hearts of people who, who harden their hearts against God. So don't quit praying. Don't quit believing. You keep trusting God. Quit, uh, you, keep, uh, you keep believing God. And sooner or later, the hammer of the word is going to shatter the hardest heart of stone and bring grace to bear on that situation. Say amen, somebody. A city of ruthless people will glorify God. Oh, you know what? I, I love to see it because I watch you on Sunday morning. And that same man that said, me and God, never. And me in church, never. You, you won't see me standing in church uh, uh, pray, singing any hymn ever. And here they are with their hands raised and tears streaming down their eyes and saying, thank you, Jesus, and praise the Lord. Come on, somebody. Our God is able to do the impossible and to change the sinner's heart. Then he says he is not only the pursuer of the hardened heart 
And God will do battle with the heart. Some of you he's doing battle with this morning. He's doing battle with the hardened heart. And you say, you say, no, no, not me. Friend, don't deny God too long because the day the door may close. Your time may run out. Your opportunity is now. If God is doing battle with your heart, it's because he loves you. Because he's gracious to you. But he doesn't just do battle with the hardened heart. You see also the other extreme here. He is the one who is the shelter for the needy and the helpless. He comes to the aid of those who are in trouble. You think, what an amazing God. On the one hand, he will go to tooth and, and nail. He will, he will do battle against darkness. But on the other hand, he'll go and sit on the carpet in the nursery and play with a toddler. He is a gentle God, a God who loves, a God who cares. And he says uh, to Isaiah, or through Isaiah, you have been a defense for the helpless and a defense for the needy in their distress. I know this morning, this is our testimony. We've all been in storms. We've all gone through trials. We've all met the enemy on the way to work. We've all been confronted by, by news that, that broke our heart. But then we also know this. Our God is a shelter to the helpless. He is a defense to the needy. He is the God that comes in when everybody's rushing out. He runs into the rescue to save and to deliver the soul. He is the repairer of the breach. He is the restorer of the broken heart. He is the defense of the helpless and the distressed. This morning, that word distressed, it means pressure. It means that God is a help to those who are under pressure, to those who are about to break. I don't know this morning if there's anybody in here that's under pressure, anybody in here that's about to break. But let me tell you, friend, there is a God that is a help to you. There is a God that is a support to you. He is your defense. Call upon him today, and he will save. Call upon him today, and he will deliver. Call upon him today, and he will rescue. Come upon him, call upon him today, and you will know his love. We all, I, I guess, when we think about Thanksgiving, we think about the pilgrims. You ever think about the pilgrims? They came over on the Mayflower. You guys remember that? Well, the Mayflower had a problem, and that was that the, the, the center beam of that ship began to crack, and, and the mast of the ship was about to break. And so they would not have made it across the sea. They probably would have not made it uh, anywhere. They would have lost their lives out at sea. But uh, they started to look around. There were a bunch of Puritans, and the Puritans were people that believed strongly in the sovereignty of God. They believed that God had made a, a preparation for every need of their life. They started looking around and said, there's got to be something in this boat to fix this problem. And they found in there a, a press, something that you would use to print. And they, they discovered that if they used that press as a crank, they were able to lift that beam into place and get across the sea. Frank, and I tell you this morning that God has already provided for your life. You are not abandoned to the sea. You are not abandoned to trouble and to trial. He is your help. He is your defense. He is your strength. And this morning, if you'll call upon him, he'll come and put his shoulder under those places in your life that are under pressure. And he will hold you up by his mighty and unchanging hand. Somebody ought to get excited this morning because our God is a defense. He's a shelter. 
He's a sure place. The Bible said the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. Run to him today. Run to God today. Take refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives us this final reason why we can give thanks. We find this in verse 6. He says, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all the peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine and choice pieces of marrow. Listen, friends. God has prepared a table for you. I've been telling you the last couple of Sundays how important the table is. I want you to know this. God has prepared a table for you. This, this coming Thursday, when you sit at your, at your family table and you have Thanksgiving lunch or dinner with your family, I want you to remember this. That just like that table is full of abundance and blessing, that that is the table that God has prepared for you. Not just for one day, but for all of your life. God has prepared a table that has everything on it that you need. There's peace in the table. There's joy in the table. There's grace in the table. There's provision in the table. There's forgiveness in the table. Everything you need is on this table. He says he's prepared a banquet table for you. And listen, I want you to notice the clues God gives us here. Number one, it says the Lord of hosts has prepared a table. What does that mean? Lord of hosts means that God is the God of the armies. I want you to think about this. Have you ever heard of a general setting out a table in the middle of a battlefield? No one would think to do that. There's no time for a table in the middle of the battlefield. But the psalmist said, the Lord prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Do you know that God wants to lay a table in the middle of your battle, in the middle of your crisis? And then the Bible tells us that this was a dry place. Not only does he set a table in the wilderness or in the battle, but he sets it in the wilderness too, in the dry places of your life. In the places that are in need of God's touch and God's provision. I told you last week how the enemy likes to dwell in dry places. But even in the driest place of your life, God has provided a table. That table is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him is all the sufficiency that you will ever need. Come on, somebody. He has provided a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He's made this table so full, so blessed. But this is what the Bible says, that it is a table that is a banqueting table for all the peoples. That means there's a chair at the table for you. What did it say? All the people. Say all the people. That means he has not left out one single person. There is a chair at the table for you. There is somebody that has thought about you, has made plans for you, has put your name on the table, and he's not going to give that seat to anybody else. It belongs to you. God loves you, friend. He's made provision for you. He's made preparations for you. He's set a chair just for you. I pray that when we enter into eternity, that your chair not be empty. I pray you won't miss your opportunity to sit at the table of the banquet which the Lord of hosts has prepared. But friend, I pray this morning, if you don't know Jesus, that you will say yes to him. That you will give him your heart. That you will take your place in the family of God. 
Because the table is, is prepared for you. He's waiting for you. The homemaker has said, this is where Isaac's going to sit. And he's put some fried chicken right in front of it. Aquí se va a sentar mi hijo. This is where my little boy is going to sit. This is where my little girl is going to sit. This is where my son, my daughter is going to sit. Can you believe that about yourself this morning? Can you believe that God loves you enough that he has prepared a table for you and he has prepared a chair for you? And friend, that chair didn't come cheap. It came at the price of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross so you could have a place at the banqueting table of the Almighty God. He said this is a table of uh, of of wine and of meat. It's a table of joy, a table of full provision. And God's waiting for you. God's waiting for you to come and take your place as an heir of the kingdom of God. I want to close with this story from the Old Testament. The Bible tells us that King Saul and his son Jonathan died. They died in a battle. They died because God had rejected Saul. And when these two men died, the rest of their family would be put to death by custom because a new king was about to rise. They wouldn't allow anyone from that family to live so that there would be no contradiction as to who sat upon the throne. And so Jonathan had a baby in the nursery at the palace. His name was Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was just a baby at the time that his grandfather and his father were, were killed. And the Bible tells us that his nurse, des desiring to protect him from this coming slaughter, she, she began to run out of the palace with him. And while she was running, she tripped and fell. She dropped the baby. And the child became paralyzed for the rest of his days. Mephibosheth became a beggar. He became a forgotten man. He grew up being a cripple in a place called Lodibar, a place where people were forgotten in poverty and in ruin. And then one day, the Bible says that King David said to his servant Ziba, he said, is there anyone from the house of King Saul that's still alive? I want to show him mercy because of the covenant that I had with Jonathan. And, and Ziba said, yes, there's one person. His name is Mephibosheth. He lives in Lodibar. And I want you to imagine this, this man who had managed his whole life to avoid being noticed, to avoid being caught by King David. He gets this group of soldiers knocking on his door. He probably thought, that's my ticket. I'm done. It's over. They came to his door. They said, King David wants to see you. They brought him into King David's court. And he fell before the throne of David. And began to grovel like, a, like a, a beggar. And he said, David, do with me as you wish. I'm only a dog. I'm a nobody. If you kill me, nobody will, nobody, nobody will care. And King David had other plans for him. I said, King David had other plans for him. And David said, Mephibosheth, from this day forward, I'm going to restore to you everything that was lost. 
by King Saul. All the land that belonged to Saul, I'm going to restore to you. And then he said, from this day forward, you're going to dress out of my wardrobe. You go in there any day you want. You pick the suit you want to wear. That's what you're going to wear. And then from this day forward, you're going to sit at my table. And you're going to eat my delicacy and my banquet. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about Mephibosheth. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. Because that's who we were. That's where we were. We were lost and forgotten. We were broken by sin and shame and, and, and the, 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 the bondage of the past. But then Jesus called our name. He said, bring them over here. I have plans for them. I have a plan to bless them and to raise them up. And this is what he said. I'm going to restore to you everything that was lost by Adam in the fall. I'm going to restore to you everything that was lost. By the sin and shame of your past. And not only that, I'm going to dress you in my clothes. I'm going to dress you in robes of righteousness. So that you can say, I am the righteousness of God. I am a sinner saved by grace. Come on, somebody. And he dressed you with the robes of righteousness. But he's done better than that. He said, you're going to sit at my table and eat my banquet. Do you know that when Mephibosheth came to the table, his crippled legs under the table, and somebody looked over that night and said, who's the new guy? I've never seen him. He looks like a king. Nobody could see his crippled legs. And nobody could see his broken past because the king had called him forward and dressed him and sat him at the table. You see, friend, when you come to sit at the table which God has prepared for you, he will cover your shame. He will cover your brokenness. He'll do away with it. And he'll give you a place of honor and a place of glory. Come on, somebody. Our God is God. And we must give him thanks. The Lord, he is God. He is worthy of praise and he's worthy of thanks because he has made a place for us. And this morning, I don't want you to miss out on what God has prepared for you. The day of the invitation will end. The time is now to decide. Today, if you hear his voice, the Bible says, do not harden your heart. Say yes to Christ. Say yes to Jesus. Invite him into your heart. Let him change you. Let him heal you. Because if you'll let the homemaker into your heart this morning, he'll change your heart and he'll change your family. And he'll change everything around you. That's how good he is. Do you believe this morning? Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite you to come into this altar. And I want us to give him thanks. I want you to come into this altar. And just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you because of your goodness. For your grace in my life. Come on, there's nothing to wait for. It's time. It's time. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good.
give thanks that he didn't let you stay in the bondage of your past. But he kept pursuing. He kept pursuing. He kept pursuing. And he's pursuing your family. He's pursuing your sons and your daughters. Out of love. And he says this morning, come to the table.